welcome again to Co-op Foundation's Future Communities podcast. We're Co-op's charity and we're cooperating for a fairer world. We've created this short podcast series to share what we've learned from launching our new strategy, building communities of the future together. It's for anyone who may be embarking on developing their own strategy or for anyone interested in finding out how to work cooperatively with others, especially with young people. We're doing it because we want to be world-class at learning and we want to share that learning. This is our last instalment of the series. So far, we've covered creating a strategy cooperatively and creating a vision with young people. On this episode, we'll be talking all about cooperative funding models and learning. And I'm Hannah, by the way. I'm the Corporate Communications Officer at Co-op Foundation. And joining me is Nick, Co-op Foundation CEO. He's back. So is Asamina, our Head of Learning and Impact. And welcome to Louise, our Head of Funding and Partnerships at the Co-op Foundation. I'd like to start by asking you all to introduce yourselves and talk about your history with the Co-op Foundation. Hello, everybody. Delighted to be here. Uh, I'm Asmina Verga, Greek originally. I joined the foundation in April uh, as the head of learning and impact. My background is environmental education and engaging uh, young people in uh, in research. And uh, I really look forward to growing the foundation's uh, learning and impact uh, approach, uh, building on our cooperative values as well. Thank you. Thanks, Asmina. Um, Nick. You go ahead and introduce yourself. Thanks, Anna. Really glad to be back. So I'm I'm Nick. I'm chief exec at the Co-op Foundation. As I mentioned in the first episode, I've been here for now almost a, a couple of years. Not very experienced in, in grant banking, but very experienced in cooperation. Before I took on this role, I served as the president of the National Members Council for six years at the Co-op. And that gave me a platform to see so much of the brilliant work that the Co-op does, but particularly the foundation. And it gave me an opportunity to be proud of it even before I arrived. Thanks, Nick. And Louise, welcome. If you want to give a bit of an introduction to yourself and your history at the foundation. Thanks, Hannah. Hi, everyone. I'm Louise Snelder. So I'm the Head of Funding and Partnerships for Co-op Foundation. I've been here for just over two years. I had my second anniversary on the 2nd of November and have seen so much change um, with the foundation since I first joined. So we built a whole team together, which has been absolutely amazing and obviously launching the strategy. So lots to look forward to. In terms of my background, I spent a very long time, so more than 20 years with a, a very large funder. And I've also worked in the charity sector as well. So bringing the grant making side of things to the team. So Nick, it'd be great if you can give us a bit of a recap on our strategy and what we want to achieve with it and why cooperation is so important. Well, that's quite a big question, Hannah, but I'll give it I'll give it a crack. Yeah. So uh, to recap on, on the strategy, uh, principally three components. We devised a vision of uh, future fair communities in 10 years time that are built on cooperative values. And we mobilised nearly 100 young people, an incredibly diverse group of young people to help us set that vision. We made young people absolutely core to this entire strategy because it's they that will inherit the communities of the future. 
The second piece, we want to pioneer a distinctly cooperative way of doing our funding and the way in which we learn, really bringing to life our cooperative ethos and adding something to the wider funder sector. And we set out from the beginning to have a five-year plan with a 10-year vision to give us a meaningful opportunity to really deliver against the strategy and track our effectiveness and impact, learn along the way and mobilise the things that we learned. And why is cooperation such an important point? Well, you might say the clue is in the name, the the Co-op Foundation. We share a set of international values and principles with the rest of the co-op movement, democracy, equity, equality, honesty, openness. It is the co-op of which we are a part that founded the international cooperative movement back in 1844. Those bewhiskered Rochdale pioneers first established the uh, values and principles on which now the entire global cooperative movement stands. There are a billion of us, a billion cooperators. And we really wanted to bring to life a strategy that reflected that cooperative difference. The exam question for us was basically, what is it that we will do that other funders wouldn't? What distinguishes us as a cooperative foundation from a funder down the street or around the corner? And I'm incredibly excited about the answers that we devised to that question. And staying on that cooperative point, unsurprisingly, um, Louise, can you talk us through your new cooperative funding principles and why they matter? Sure, yeah. So about 18 months ago, uh, we came across the Institute for Voluntary Action Researchers eight commitments, which they were setting out in respect of what they saw flexible funders needing to do differently. So they essentially created a movement of like-minded funders. We read about it, loved it, and have essentially used that as the kind of leaping off point for our own funding principles. So just to run through them, so we have seven of them in total. The first is around participatory grant making. And talking of movements, this is a massive movement in grant making currently, and one which we were absolutely enthused at the prospect of being part of. So for our own journey, we have involved young people. So we've actually just recruited 10 young people to join our Future Communities Collective. And as Nick said, with the vision in young people, we have tried to get some really diverse young people who have experience of actually living through some of the issues that we are trying to address through our funding. And we felt that that was really important that they had that experience. So that participatory grant making model will mean that young people and other people with relevant lived experience will actually move into a decision making mode for us. So we give away power. And they'll take the driving seat, not just funding decisions, but actually in helping to shape how we fund as well. The second is around unrestricted funding. And this is often seen as, I suppose, the holy grail of funding. It's so infrequently available. So this means there are no strings attached. Organisations can use it in whatever way they feel is appropriate to deliver their mission. And we love the trust-based model that that really builds on and and that helps us to kind of when we talk to organizations about what we mean to be a relational grant funder we really want to trust the organizations and work with them cooperatively as our name suggests we also want to fund in a long-term way so we listen to a number of our partners the organizations that we fund and what they said to us is that we need 
funding to last longer. We don't want to waste time having to fill out application forms every year. So our first fund that launched under the new strategy is for up to five years. And that's quite rare in the funding sector. We're really delighted to be able to do that. We, as I said, we we focus very heavily on trusting organisations as well. So that means for us that we work with organisations in a way that acknowledges that they are the ones who have the expertise, the knowledge about the work that they're delivering. It's not us. We're funding and we're enabling and supporting, but actually we don't have that expertise. So we'd very much rely on those organisations. We want to be accessible as well. So that means making our application processes and progress reporting, everything that we do, easy. So removing barriers for organisations that maybe have found us or other funders difficult to access funding from in the past. So for us, that means different ways to apply for funding. It means um, being able to submit a video application, talk to us. Or actually, if you like a paper application form, then you can do that. That's also fine. And we also work really hard to make sure that we are supporting organisations and helping to strengthen them. So doing whatever we can to to make that happen. Signposting them to training that might be helpful to them. And we're very much focused, as Nick said, on, on facilitating cooperation. This is a really important part of what we do, being an advocate for other organisations joining the movement. Thanks, Louise. And in developing these principles, Nick, how how were they developed and how did we involve partners, other people to inform those those principles? Yeah, that's a great question, Hannah. We, we wanted to hear from and learn from the coalface, essentially, the people that were experiencing our funding. We wanted to know what they thought amazing looked like from their perspective. Um, I'm incredibly grateful to our partners for the time and their expertise and the commitment that they gave to this process. We uh, we compensated them, of course, bringing to life those principles that Louise just spoke about. Uh, and for me, the very best piece of feedback from our launch event was when we heard from a partner who said how delighted they were to see so much of what they'd contributed uh, during the process, making it into the final plan. So very cooperative. We, we really wanted to open the doors to the process and to give uh, so many experts by experience the, the opportunity to really shape and inform our plans. Brilliant. And when we're funding partners, Louise, how do you see that these principles will positively impact our funded partners? Sure. I mean, I think the most important aspect for this is that we move power away from grant makers um, and give that power to communities and to people who have lived experience of the issues that we are dealing with. And that empowerment piece is really powerful and important to us. We want young people to have a voice and to have a say in what their future looks like and to be part of the journey in building and addressing some of the issues that exist across society today. So for us, that was a no-brainer. We wanted to take more risks in terms of how we funded. And we can't say that we're a trailblazer because there are lots of organisations that are really several steps ahead of us in in terms of the way that we are starting to work but we've learned from those organizations as Nick said we had lots of conversations through our strategy process and we are hopefully at least joining them if not being ahead of the game in in focusing much more 
on the communities and the organisations that are seeking funding than actually what we get out of it as an organisation. And we have set out our strategy in terms of being really clear about what the important things are to us. And we hope that through that, we'll be very clear about the types of organisations that we'll work with in terms of delivering on that strategy. And we'll work cooperatively with those organisations, which is another really important aspect of this, is that we can't deliver on the strategy alone. We need the organisations who are working in, in these communities already to work with us to achieve our goals. Thanks, Louise. And I think the whole foundation team, uh, now we've got this strategy, we're all so excited to start funding organisations and individuals and, and working with them. What we're also doing is the foundation has committed to changing its approach to learning. Asamina, as our head of impact and learning, what are your plans? First, I should say that uh, we are still uh, ironing out our learning and impact strategy. It's uh, a journey um, we started a few months ago. My strapline or vision of the learning and impact approach is about uh, wanting to turn learning into actions for greater impact. So it's not about, you know, creating learning for the sake of learning and, you know, disseminating it. And we definitely not don't want to be extractive when we create this learning. So we do have some uh, key principles, I guess, underpinning our uh, approach or our thinking at the moment. And how we learn is as important as what we learn. So first of all, we want to understand uh, where we're making a difference with our funding, what works in what context, identify gaps and target our support so that it's, it's more uh, effective and impactful in the future. And uh, we also want to be a reflective funder, you know, that we want uh, as a funder to improve continuously our processes and as an organization overall. We would like to support our grantees in learning and measuring impact for their own benefit so that they improve their practice. And we also want to foster opportunities for peer learning in the future. So our expectations will be um, proportionate and will be set in the context of, you know, being transparent, open and based on a trusting relationship with them. We want to embed equity, diversity and inclusion in our learning and impact. And that will, you know, come through, first of all, from the commissioning kind of aspect. You know, we want to commission diverse teams to measure impact. But we also want to employ participatory and culturally appropriate methodology. So it's about, you know, what methods are we going, you know, to employ to get the learning and impact. We are not, you know, trailblazers. We are building on practice of uh, other funders in the sector. So throughout this process of developing an approach, we've been talking to many funders that have been already doing participatory grant making, have been giving unrestricted funding or funding individuals. I want to say that the first thing that um, I hear during these conversations is, oh my God, it's really difficult, you know, to do well, measuring impact and, you know, getting the learning. So I'm, I'm not going to say, oh, we're going to be perfect on this. But uh, we will have some building blocks in our approach. First will be that, you know, from the beginning of our funding programs to identify what we want to learn and how. And then uh, building our funding programs on uh, good evidence from the start, you know, what, what do we know that already works or where are the biggest gaps that we can make a difference? And uh, the other important point is about collaborating with our partners. As I said in the beginning, we don't want to be extractive. We want the learning to be for the benefit of their organizations. 
So for our uh, iWill partners, we've just given some continuation funding. We went to them with options on learning and impact approaches, and uh, we followed their preference on, you know, which one would make the most, uh, I guess, uh, impact in their work. And now we are um, uh, developing action learning for our six funded partners, and we're just uh, launching our taster session so that they will see firsthand how does this uh, approach uh, look like in practice and who would be best uh, from their organization to be part of that. We want to continue this uh, approach and uh, in the future as we develop our key learning questions within our funding programs, we will uh, involve the partners we fund to also refine and add their own learning questions they want uh, you know, to uh, answer throughout the activities and the funding we give. Funders usually, you know, give funding and uh, at the end of the funding, you know, if you think about five, 10 years later, there won't be any funding, there won't be any, you know, activities, for example, there will be organizations we fund that will continue to exist. But, you know, having this learning and impact uh, reports, learning disseminated, will be actually the legacy of, you know, what we supported. So I do feel it's a, an important kind of aspect of what we do, not only for the now, but also for the future, leaving something behind for others to continue building on. Thanks, Asamina. I love that. And we've already started on this process with all the changes you're making with, with learning and heading towards that legacy, which is exciting. I wanted to ask all of you, what your highlight has been throughout this whole process of building a new strategy, but within that, creating these new funding models and a new approach to learning? Oh, it's such a lovely question, Hannah. I love it. And I think for me, a lot of what we're doing is about young people. And actually, my background is it's not in youth work. It's not in funding that's specifically focused on young people. So I went along and co-facilitated one of the sessions that we held in person with real live young people in, it was in Gateshead actually, um, supported by Youth Focus Northeast. And it was a really busy session. I think we had 25 or 27 young people in the room, lots of conversation, really lively discussion. And that was, you know, the the kind of the hotbed of where some of the discussion that ultimately resulted in our strategic priorities came from. And to be actually part of that and seeing how the conversations played out, I, I just found that so powerful. And I think it gave me the deepest understanding of actually when you have young people involved in this kind of process, they're not always starting from a position of understanding how systems play out together, how you pull one lever in order for something to change or politics or how you can kind of use your own personal power and influence to campaign for something that you feel passionate about. So it gave me that real line of sight of there's more work to do with some young people than there is with others um, and that we always need to bear that in mind when we're working with young people that some will need more support their starting point for coming into discussions is different so yeah I, I loved that session. Thanks Louise I'm not surprised that's your highlight actually because I remember you coming back from that session buzzing but also with full of insights and takeaways from it and we've actually got it on film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've got a video all about how we created our strategy and, and our vision with young people 
Asamina, what, what was your highlight of the whole process? I guess my highlight is the, the culture in an organisation that is conducive to learn internally, but also disseminate our learning and influence others. And I, I can't, yeah, I, I can't forget, you know, this enthusiasm and um, welcoming, I guess, I got from my team members around, oh, you know, we all want to learn, improve uh, how we are doing things. And uh, I think that's something I really cherish. And uh, we have established this uh, trust, I would say, and um, openness and uh, willingness also to risk and, you know, try out new things. And uh, we also have the trustees supporting that. So for me, that's my highlight. And, you know, it's the best basis, I guess, for my role. I feel very privileged. Thanks, Asamina. That's such a lovely highlight. (laughs) We'll move on to Nick. Have you got a highlight from the whole process? Yes, I have. Yeah, thanks, Anna. So for me, this was a really interesting exercise in looking for uh, the sweet spot on a Venn diagram. Uh, We wanted something that would be aligned to the co-op, but very distinctive to it. We wanted something that was... Uh, authentic to the work uh, of the foundation and we wanted something that would uh, match our ambition and I think that's exactly where we have landed. We've landed right in the the middle of the the sweet spot and it's been such a joy to be working with such a a committed and talented group of colleagues as well. Thanks Nick. I'm sure the whole foundation team will be thrilled with those highlights. Nick, I'm going to come back to you because this is our third and final podcast and it's also coming up to your two-year anniversary at the Co-op Foundation. So it would be wonderful if you could tell us what you've learned about the foundation within those two years. Okay, well, just a vast amount. I'll see if I can uh, restrict myself to just four thoughts that uh, that occur to me. I think the first one I touched on this before in my previous answer, uh, just the uh, the sheer joy of of working with uh, such amazing team members with uh, very wide experience of the sector. It's a privilege to have them tell me what to do. Uh, and uh, as Asamina said uh, earlier, the the culture of the team is is just fantastic as well. So that that's re- really important. Uh, The second thing relating directly to the development of the strategy is uh, learning to trust in a cooperative process, uh, even when you think you shouldn't, even when it's really hard, uh, even when you think you're going to miss every deadline and it's a bit like nailing blancmange to the ceiling. uh, The outcome is worth the investment. So trust in the uh, collaborative process. Then the third thing is uh, the relationship that we have with the mother the co-op, the agility of the foundation and the might and heft and brand of the co-op can work wonders together. And then the fourth observation is that uh, boldness pays off. Uh, I think uh, we were determined as we entered into this process of developing a new strategy uh, to bring out the other end something that was worthy of the name. And I think we've exactly done that. uh, And I think we can be incredibly proud of it and incredibly proud of its ambition. Thanks, Nick. We're actually coming to the end of this episode and the podcast series. So before we go, I'd like to ask you all one thing you'd like people to take away from from this episode. Louise, let's go to you first. Such a big question. I I think for me, there's there's a kind of existential question about the funding sector, which is 
you know, to really encourage other funders to look at how they're working and whether there is more that they can do to support communities and charities and voluntary sector organisations who are going through such tough times with the cost of living crisis coming hot on the heels of COVID. There has never been a more challenging time for the third sector. So everything that we can do to make life easier has got to be worth trying. Thanks, Louise. Atamina. I guess the two things I want to highlight, it's first as uh, funders, we should be have a humility, I would say, and uh, not try to attribute, but uh, claim, I would say, contribution of our funding's impact on what the organizations do. Because, you know, the organizations are influenced from so many other factors, you know, apart from the funding we provide to them. And the second thing I would like to highlight is this cooperative way of doing things and uh, the importance of working with our partners closely, not to impose learning and impact approaches to them, but create with them the learning and impact approaches that work for them too. Thank you, Asamina. And finally, Nick. For me, the biggest takeaway is the real value that we've gleaned from listening hard to funded partners. Uh, I think this builds on on both Louisa's and Asamina's point, actually. I think there is something about the way the sector works, uh, and I think there is something about the value of humility. Uh, and to my mind, funders listening hard to their partners and their needs and what amazing looks like from their perspective is the way to make the funding sector better. brings us to the end of this episode i want to say a massive thank you to nick asamina and louise thank you so much for having us it's been a pleasure thank you thank you that was the final episode of our future communities podcast we hope you enjoyed it and found the series useful we're the cope foundation building communities of the future together thank you to all our experts on this episode and to you for listening if you have any questions about anything we discussed, email us at foundation at and follow us on social media by searching Cult Foundation on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook.